Hey, Islanders, real quick before we get started on everything, I wanted to say a quick announcement. Um, if you listen to some of our previous episodes, um, I went over in the one with Emily Harmon Waterloo um, a few episodes ago, and we talked about the Christmas tree lighting at Commando Commons. Just a quick update on that. We will no longer be doing that uh, Christmas tree lighting due to the latest orders from Inslee. Um, so just wanted to throw that, throw that out there. We will still be doing uh, donations to the Christmas house if anyone is interested in doing so. Um, I will leave a link for that in our episode show notes for this episode. Um, but basically, it's on the Sandwich Commando Food uh, food Bank website, and you just comment in there that this is for the Christmas house. Um, we will be doing a refund to the for the people that bought tickets already, um, unless they want us to donate those, and we will still continue to donate those. So, anyways, just wanted to say that quick word before we get into the episode today. All right, guys, say thanks. Hey, Islanders, and welcome to episode 72 of the Camino Voice. Today, I speak with the co-founder of Camino Cider. Please welcome Corey Haugen. Hi, I'm Brandon Erickson, and you're listening to the Camino Voice podcast, where I interview folks around Camino Island and beyond. If you want to stay up to date on events, businesses, and even hear a little history of this area, subscribe to this podcast and share with your friends. Thanks for listening. Hey, Islanders, and welcome to another episode of the Commando Voice, where we release a new episode every Tuesday. On this episode, I speak to Corey Haugen, who is one of the co-founders of Commando Cider. And this is actually going to be part one of the episode, since we went a little long. I wanted to break it into two episodes. And this was a really fun episode for me. Um, one, to learn about cider in general. I didn't know a lot about the production of it and how it's done. Um, but two, um, just learning more about um, the Kameno cider and it specifically. Um, and uh, we actually don't get into Kameno cider in this episode. So you hear a lot of his backstory, kind of where he started, uh, what he started his career in, where that led him to, and actually the first cider company that he started, which he'll get into, and kind of what the story is with that one. And, and if you come back for part two next week, you're going to hear about the founding of Kameno Cider, why, how it was founded differently, and, and what he's done to, to build that out. So um, I won't get too much into spoilers of the Kameno Cider side. Um, the only thing I will say in this episode is after speaking with Corey, um, I went to a uh, restaurant for, for dinner back when we still could do that, and I got one of the Kameno Ciders. I got the Pub Cider, and I, I don't know why I never tried Kameno Cider. I've, been, um, I've seen it on different menus in the area. Uh, I've tried a lot of different types of ciders, but I'd never actually tried Kameno Cider. So um, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to get the Pub Cider. I'm going to get that with my lunch or dinner or whatever. I guess it was a lunch that I went to. And it was different than any cider I've ever had. And it was so good. Um, I'm normally a beer drinker. Um, I'm also learning to like wine. Um, but normally like ciders, like I get like Angry Orchard or things like that. And they're not my favorite. Like I'll drink them here and there. But like by halfway through the bottle, I'm like, I really don't want to finish this. I, that, that, uh, the pub cider from Kameno Cider it is a blend between like a beer and a cider. It is so good. It's it's not too sweet. It's a little bit more dry, but it's got the feel of kind of like a, a beer. And um, oh, I just love it so much. So anyways, I had to give that little plug in there. Next week, like I said, you will get into the founding of Kameno Cider and why that, specifically why the pub cider is so good and how he's designed all of his ciders. So 
Anyways, excited to get that one to you next week. But of course, this week, we've got part one of Corey Haugen. And without further ado, here's my conversation with Corey Haugen. Hey, Islanders, and welcome to another episode of the Camino Voice. Today, I'm here with the co-founder of Camino Cider. Welcome to the podcast, Corey Haugen. Is it Haugen or Hogan? Haugen. Haugen. Okay, cool. But I respond to any, anyone. It's, I mean, I'm one of those, it's one of those names where I'm just used to uh, multiple ways to pronounce it, but... Yeah, Haugen. Perfect. Yeah. All right, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So before we get started, tell us a little bit about Corey. Jeez. Uh, um, not super exciting. Um, I, uh, I was, grew up in Mukilteo, um, and that's where my parents are, are from still. And um, I, uh, I should just start with this. I, I live in Mill Creek. Okay. So I'm not technically like a uh, Camino Island resident, um, yep. but but I will make up for that in other various ways. But <laughs> yeah, I uh, live in Mill Creek, um, wife and three girls. So nice. um, very, very busy, yes. uh, especially now with working from home and um, getting them to school and... Uh, and then um, their their ages are six, four, and two. So it's okay. just like yes, they're all in the crammed thing. together. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's like yeah, it's fun, but it's at the same time it's just it's exa- we're tired a lot. Yes, yeah, yeah. So. We um we have uh, four kids as well, or we have four kids, uh, twin girls who are nine, then a seven year old, and then a four year old son. Yeah. So it's just so you're, you're, you're always right tired. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yep. But um, you know, it's it's you kind of just roll with the punches and make the best of it and mm-hmm. um you know like i said we we come up here all the time i bring the girls up they run around and um they love coming up here and so um part of camino cider is is also having time to get out and and just do other things instead of just being you know stuck in the house all the time right so right all right. Um, so you grew up in, in Michael Teal then. Is that where you grew up, like, through high school and everything then? Yep, yep. Okay. For pretty much my entire life, yeah. Um, I've been, yeah, I went to uh, Kamiak High School. Um, and then I escaped uh, Washington and went, uh, I went to the University of Oregon. Okay. Um, so uh, I did, I was there for a little over four years and then quickly wanted to come back. Um <laughs> I, it was nice. It was nice to be away, like mm-hmm. a short distance, but still be able to like come home in a weekend if I needed to. Yeah. Um, but uh, and Eugene was great. It was a f- fun college town. But um, by the end of it, I was ready to come back home. Yeah. And, and I really didn't um, see myself going anywhere else. And uh, I well, I met my wife on my last um, couple quarters there, so that was another reason to come home and. So, um, yeah, and uh, we've been in, well, we s- we're living in uh, Queen Anne for a little bit, and then uh, we've been in Mill Creek ever since. Okay. So that's just kind of, that's, that's really it. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah. Um, so what, what drew you to uh, uh, Oregon to go to college there? Uh, so I wanted, well, I wanted to get away. And, uh, my dad went to UW and I was, I I don't know, I guess I didn't even apply to UW. And, uh, so he was really struggling to write those checks for, to, to, 
pay for University of Oregon. You could have gone to Wazoo. That would have really been. <laughs> yeah, well, I didn't do that. So, um, I, you know, at least I had that for him. But um, I actually I went down there and, and their um, sports marketing uh, in their business school really attracted me. OK. And um, they have this great business school. And uh, so I started uh, obviously working my, you know, my credits and my classes for the business school. And once I got into it, I actually wasn't that interested. Like it just didn't, um, do anything for me. And, um, so about halfway through college, I got into, um, the advertising school, which is actually in the journalism, uh, school. Okay. So, um, which is really, it's kind of interesting whenever I bring that up. So I have a journalism degree but uh, with a focus in advertising. Okay. Um, and then I also, and then I have a business minor too, but um, just to kind of finish those credits up. But um, advertising was my, was my big focus. I, it was kind of once I started taking those classes, I just ran with it. Yeah. And because I really liked the marketing side, but mm-hmm. then advertising sort of added this other element to it that made it more exciting and interesting um, particularly with, um, st- like the strategy portion and the creative side. Yeah. So finished that up and, um, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to work at ad agencies. I wanted to do that, like, you know, cranking on, uh, different clients all the time, coming up with new ideas for them. Um, so let me jump in real quick. Yeah. How would you describe the difference between marketing and advertising then? Oh man, um, that's a good question. I mean, there's not a whole lot of difference now. I think back in school, that that's that was kind of interesting how they were they were very defined. Like marketing was part of the business school, and um, I don't know. I think I look at it as like the basic <laughs> definition of marketing, and then advertising was more of that, like you working in an ad agency. And, you know, coming up with pitches and uh, new ideas for different brands and businesses. Yeah. And marketing, I think, was more of that just general understanding of how to market products and things within the business realm of things. Right. And I, that, I know that's still a generalization, but, I mean, that's really what it felt like. Yeah. Um, now, it's, I've strayed, you know, and we can kind of jump through the timeline, but I've strayed so far from <laughs> both of those things. Yeah. And you, what you realize is like, as you build your career, it, um, it just like, you, you can't really define your, like it, you just take all of that and you mold it all together. And then it becomes this like soup of, of different pieces of these industries mm-hmm. or, or these, uh, I don't know, like the professions, I guess. Yeah. So, that's kind of what I am. I'm like a weird grab bag of everything. So, <laughs> well, you kind of have to be to be an entrepreneur of sorts. So, um, okay. So then, you graduated with um, journalism with focus in advertising, and then where'd you go from there? Then, so um, came back home and obviously had to hit the ground running. Uh, so it was like I did the the grind, like getting in ad agencies. So my first agency I worked for was this tiny agency um called square tomato and uh we were like in the heart of downtown seattle um there was i think like five or six people that worked there 
um, it was really cool. I mean, it, it like embodied that like agency feel. Yeah. Um, I, I wasn't getting paid. Um, <laughs> and it was just kind of like that grunt work, but, but that's how a lot of people, um, everybody who graduated that I knew, I mean, that's how you started. Yeah. You, you did the dirty work and then hopefully you built up a solid resume so that like another agency or someone looks at you and says, oh, okay, we'll actually give you money for these things you do. Wow. And I mean, that's just, I don't, um, I don't know if it was like that anymore, but, um, cause my second internship, um, I worked for, uh, an agency called Copacino Fujikado and they're, they're a pretty well-known agency around here. They do all the Mariners ads. Okay. Um, and, uh, REI, um, so they had a lot of really great big accounts. Um, and I remember they were, had this more professional feel. Like I actually had to wear like a button up and nice pants. Um, but I was actually getting paid. So that was, <laughs> this is a good thing. That was really exciting. <laughs> um, but I was still, I mean, I talk about, gr- I mean, I, I made the coffee in the morning. I made the little, um, uh, snack like rep presentations for when clients would come in. Uh, you know, I answered the phones and so I wasn't still doing, um, like actual advertising work. Uh, I was like, there were moments in both agencies where I got to actually, um, think of like, um, solve problems and, and, and help like certain teams out. Mm -hmm. But for the most part, it was, it was mostly like the, the guy getting, filling the water and, um, filling the coffee in the morning and, uh, that was that was really hard for me to um it was hard for me to do mm-hmm. because i i can say this now i mean i was very uh stubborn when it came to that stuff like i wanted to like when i saw like the guys who were like strategists yeah i wanted to like be in the room doing that with them yeah. even though i had like no experience yeah. whatsoever but that's where i like I, I wanted to see myself at that same level. Yep. And, um, and it took me a while to realize that I, like, I have to create the path to, to get to that, to where right. like, I actually am at that same, same level and realize that all this grunt work and everything that I do um, is, is I'm doing it for a reason to, to have like to some end goal. Yeah. But even now I, I get frustrated. I mean, I, I always, um, it's, it's a competitiveness. It's, uh, I I don't even know what you call it, but it's just kind of this thing that I have where like, I'm, I'm never like satisfied. And then I always see somebody like put in the context of like a cidery. Right. Yeah. So, um, and we can get into like, and this will make more sense when I describe our setup. But like when I look at these other cideries that have the big fancy tasting room and the big equipment, it's like, well, I, I should have that too. I yeah. mean, I should be doing that and, uh-huh. and on that same level. And so I, I think it is um, like competitive. I'm competitive. Yeah. Um, but I also, I mean, I know and think that I can do just as good of a job if, if I had the same setup. Yeah. Um, now I will say like a lot of that, like a lot of failure came with that too. Like, especially in the ad agency world. And I had a lot of like reality checks and, um, I had a lot of good mentors that were very honest with me and just kind of laid things out and was Mm -hmm. like, 
yeah, no, you're not like ready for this. And, or the, uh, you know, I would do something and realize, uh, I was going to swear. Um, can we, we usually don't to, swear. Huh? Okay. Um, oh crap. Um, uh, like, like I'm not as maybe I don't know everything, or right. maybe I don't know enough to really to to really accomplish those things. I mean, there's so many like, especially in the ad agency world. I mean, it's cutthroat. Yeah. And um, like my uh, so after the internship, I got a job at um, what was called Zaz, and this it was like one of the coolest agencies. Like they had um, they had a full bar in their agency. <laughs> We had year annual flip cup tournaments, um, and they had like crazy cool clients like Audi, Coca Cola. I mean, I worked on Smart Water, like all these like top tier brands. Yeah, um, I was working on them. Like, and I, and I actually had um, I was like a junior strategist role. Okay, and so I was. I felt like I finally got into that lane. Yeah. of where I wanted to be, and. Um, I had at, at the time I had my um, my boss or, um, uh, I had these amazing mentors and, and and managers and people really teaching me the ropes and um, and I was I was learning a lot but but also realizing like you know um, where I was in my place yeah. Um, I will say, like, I think a lot of those, the flashy things like the bar and, and the parties and all that stuff, I think that as, being that young, it dis, it distracts you. Yeah. Um, and you kind of gravitate towards that, like, oh, I work at this place and we're fun and we have dogs and stuff. And, and um, but it takes away your focus from, like, actually being successful mm -hmm. and building your career. And it took me a while to realize that, um, but luckily for at least the beginning of it, I had these really great bo bosses and managers and r insanely smart people uh, when it came to strategy and, and working on pitches for um, uh, clients. Um, and I, I mean, I had moments, I like, I pitched uh, ideas to Coca-Cola, which was crazy to like stand up there in front of like these executives and um, pitch these ideas and, um, that I mean, looking back on it, it's like those are steps that made me more comfortable to the things I do now. Yeah. Um, you know, and then so fast forward a little bit in the same job, I got put under this other person that we just did not mesh well. And it was it was rough. Like, I don't think that person ever managed somebody um, young and, and still like gr greenhorn ish, yeah. you know, um, so he didn't know what to do with me. Also, I'm. I'm insanely stubborn, and so I don't like people to tell me what to do. So that wasn't a good combination. <laughs> and that, that immediately started spiraling um, in not a positive way. Oh, no. Uh, but things like where I couldn't leave work until he said I could. And, and I'm not going to name names, but like it, like it, was, it was crazy. And I mean, and also the advertising mentality is like, you're not doing your job or doing really well unless you're working late hours in the middle of, and you know, you're, you're all in a room working on a pitch deck at night. And yeah. like, that's like supposedly the cool thing. And maybe it is for some people, but 
I quickly realized, yeah, I don't want to do that. Like, I want to wake up, come to work, do a really good job, but then go home and actually enjoy my life. Yeah. And so in a way, it was kind of, it was bittersweet because I was working with these really smart people and working on these really cool projects. And then I got put under this, this one person that made me not really want to do or be a part of the industry anymore. Mm. And I have a good segue into this. So that around that time, um, my wife and I, we were living in our little apartment in Queen Anne and, um, I, uh, (laughs) so I got, I got let go and, um, like totally caught me off guard Wow. And really no reason. Um, I didn't really get a reason. First of all, I was getting paid like crap. Uh, <laughs> looking back on it, like, holy crap. You're working 12 hour plus I days. I was working and... <laughs> so much. And, and also I, I could see like what they were charging clients for, mm-hmm. for my work. And then what I was actually getting paid of that. I was like, you gotta be kidding me. And I didn't even like, luckily my wife had a really good job. Because I wasn't making hardly anything. And, yeah. um, well, and you guys are living in Queen Anne, you said, which is Anne. not a cheap place. No, well, and we got, we got lucky. We were at, like, right off the main ave at the top of the hill. Okay. And top floor of this, like, three floor. And we had this really cool, like, cool characteristic, like, apartment. And we got lucky on the rent because at the same time, there was other places that were, like, way more mm-hmm. for way smaller. So... It was like this couple that owned the the building and they just, they weren't really into like the rent hikes and stuff. And so we actually had a really cool experience and I, I hated leaving it, but, um, yeah, it, like I was getting paid like crap and, and so it it makes you like you, and I don't know if it's this way anymore, but, um, and not every agency is like this. So I don't want to like put a stigma or, or, you know, stereotype, like this is how ad agencies are like, but most of them like are and and i mean i'll be honest like i wasn't cut out for like that type of style of work like right. even though i loved advertising and i loved strategy and planning and and co- researching and coming up with insights i i didn't really fit in with that um culture and that style right and obviously uh my manager didn't think so either <laughs> so so he made it uh, an easy decision for me um it sucked it was like it was the first time, like, I mean, my first time ever getting let go. And, um, I didn't know what to do. Um, but I, uh, around that same time, I, um, I had started messing around with like making cider at, at, in the apartment. Okay. Um, and that came from, I, um, I hadn't, and and I, uh, it's been a while, so I don't remember if, when this exactly happened, but we were still living in an apartment and, and I was looking for something to do and I didn't want to brew beer because it was like everybody makes beer. <laughs> and I, I originally wanted to make wine, but okay. I found out that's not really easy to do in an apartment. Mm-hmm. And also I didn't have the patience for, for like aging the wine and all that stuff. And I, um, my dad sent me this article about uh, hard cider. And this was back in like, 2011 so it was like this little snippet in some some business article about how cider was hard cider was starting to like have interest Mm -hmm. and um i was like okay well 
We um, we used to. My parents used to have a place in um, off of, in Big Lake in Mount Vernon, and so driving up, we would always pass this um, place off of I five. I don't know if you've seen it, but it's like a big cider barn. Okay. And you, you can yeah, go yeah. get cider. Yep. Yeah. So Cedardale Orchards. Yeah. And and I was like, well, I I have great access to great cider, so why not try that? Um, so it, it was like this weird combination of while I was getting interested in cider, I also had this, I'm going to kind of go all over the place because it really is like, it's just like all these weird combinations of things now that I think about it. But upon my boredom too, I also started a wine blog where I would, um, buy wine based off of the label. Okay. And then I would drink it and I would write reviews after I've had like several glasses. So it wasn't meant to be like really profound (laughs) or like professional, it was it was probably like the most like uh, yeah just unprofessional wine blog ever and but I like took the um, I had pictures of like the labels and and I wrote like my little like ratings of what I thought of them and the cool thing was is I found a lot of really good wines and I always tried to get like cheap wines so yep. under fifteen dollars nice and and it actually I found a lot of great wines based off of just the label and. And I was really um, infatuated by that, and that comes from like my design and marketing background. I just I like like label like cool labels and things like that. And yeah. So anyway, so I had this wine blog that turned into a cider blog. So I wanted to start um, understanding the industry and talking to people who who are already starting to build cider businesses in the midst of just this like whiff of the industry picking up. And so through that, I, um, and I, and I have to, this being my first podcast, I have to call out, uh, Dave Whitewood and, um, uh, Reverend Nat from Mm -hmm. Reverend Nat hard cider. So Whitewood, uh, Dave, Dave, Dave is from Whitewood. Sorry. Um, David White, uh, he has Whitewood cider in Olympia. Okay. And he was kind of one of, he had his own cider blog, and um, he was like, I reached out to him and he would, his blog was like where everybody would go to learn about cider before cider was even cool. Okay. And so I got in touch with him and luckily these people were nice enough to let some random person ask a bunch of questions. And, and that's how I learned how to make good cider. Okay. And, I mean, I didn't make good cider in the beginning, but I at least understood the fundamentals and I, I bought the right books and... I mean, uh, Dave was amazing at giving me information and just, I I would email him and he would get back to me, you know, and then, um, I got in touch with Nat and I remember the first time I met him was he was doing like his first Washington tasting down in Ballard. So I got to go and it was funny, my, so the site was called Cider Times and, um, which is just so, it's so cliche, like Cider <laughs> Times, like trying to be like an old newspaper. Mm-hmm. It actually, the site still wor- is running today. Like some some guy um, bought it and he, he still like updates and posts about things, which nice. is really cool. But um, it was funny because I, I went down there um, to, to Nat's tasting and, and he was like, oh, you're the Cider Times guy. And, um, and so I got to become really good friends with him and he was... Uh, probably one of the main reasons why I could even do what I'm doing today. Okay. Um, 
so, and I don't want to jump too far ahead, but basically, so Nat and, and Dave, they were just, these guys are still, like, if you ever get your hands on Whitewood Cider or if you've ever had Reverend Nat's, mm-hmm. I mean, these, they're, they're like the staple. And um, Nat, I think he's one of, he's like one of the biggest producers in Oregon um, to this day. And um, uh, Dave at Whitewood, he's got this great little tasting room in Olympia and he really ties to source from just that local area. And okay. His, his cider is, is like, it's phenomenal. Nice. Um, so these guys, I mean, they've been great. And I think that shows like that also like that openness is something I try to do too, to this day, because if they, if they had not been so, um, inviting and, and willing to share their knowledge. Yeah. I mean, I probably wouldn't be doing this now or, or I, I don't know, I, but, but really I have to like, obviously give a shout out to them cause they're, they're amazing and they were super helpful. And so, so I started that, um, anyway, started making my hard cider in the apartment okay. and, um, like I said, made some not great stuff, like really high alcohol, really dry. Um, you know, uh, but, but Hey, it was like, it was th- like, that's what I love so much is the ability and this, I think, comes back to my reason why I wanted to be in advertising and all the things I want to do is because I love the idea of making something and seeing it and putting it out there for other people to enjoy or react to it. Yeah. And that's why advertising was so mm-hmm. cool because you take your ideas, you give them to these people, and then they get created. Yeah. And you get to see it out there. And so cider was kind of this thing that was mine and... And even though, looking back, I don't know how anybody drank it, but um, we did. And it was just cool to, like, I'd have my friends over and we would just, like, pour a growler of my cider. And um, and I played around with so many different things um, from the beginning. Uh, I wanted to, like, uh, test, like, see what I could do with cider. Yeah. And And keep in mind, this time, like, cider, like, in the bars and stuff was, like, um, not cider at all i mean it was like concentrate stuff and and really for when people would go to the bar and if you didn't like beer you would have like this cider um for for you to drink um so so that's kind of where my passion started so it was kind of this this weird time of like getting interested in making cider and then the um kind of that we'll call it a nudge of uh, not working anymore. Yeah. Um, I was fortunate enough to say, okay, well, what could we do here? So, um, this is kind of the beginning of Grizzly Cider. Okay. So, um, through one of my longtime friends, um, she, she married, uh, um, her, well, uh, yeah, her husband at the time, um, he had a background in um, alcohol sales and things like that. So okay. it was kind of this like, well, I'm making cider. You understand the industry. Let's see what we can do. And so yeah. um, we we basically dove into it. Um, okay. We uh, So about the time Grizzly started, um, we had moved to Mill Creek. And um, I had figured out my recipes and, or at least the main ones I wanted to do. And one of those being, I really liked, um, putting hops in cider. 
Okay. So I, I, the other thing that was really cool about cider is the way I describe it is like, it's this weird, it's this like kind of in between of wine making and beer making. Okay. So it's, the process is more like making wine, obviously, cause you're fermenting fruit, but you can do things to it like, uh, dry hopping. And, um, I mean, I, I can't, I don't know. I would botch like different beer terms, but but to me, it's like kind of in, in the middle. And so you can, I would try to like get beer-like characteristics into my cider. Okay. Um, because I wanted it to taste more like a beer when you were drinking it. Yeah. And keep in mind, like back then, no one knew what like cider should be. It's yeah. not like like an IPA or, you know, different beer styles. Yeah. Uh, cider, was, it was like the Wild West mm-hmm. because at that time what cider was was like a sweet um apple concentration uh carbonated alcoholic beverage okay you know that's that's what cider was in the bars um so while we were trying to figure out our own take all these other cideries were uh trying to do the same thing and i will say like um you know like uh, Whitewood Cider and Reverend Nats, you know, they had a much more understanding of the history of, of what cider should be and traditional cider apples and, and the different styles that were actually existed back then. Yeah. With that said, like Nat is known for like going crazy on just whatever he could create a cider. I mean, he, he did it. Yeah. And he made, I mean, he, I think one of his first ones was like a hopricot and it's a hopped apricot cider and it was delicious. And so I, I really, um, kind of gravitated towards that ability to put whatever you wanted into a cider and, and see what happens to it. So yeah. that's, that's the other portion of why cider was so cool is you could kind of experiment and, um, play around with different flavors and varieties. Um, so, so we were cranking it. We were trying to figure out our recipes. Um, I had a hop cider. I had this other cider where I had like, I put like molasses and hops in it. So the molasses gave it kind of this like dark color and more of a body. And it really was, it had more of like a body, like a beer. And, and then I had kind of like a regular cider. And, um, so those were like the main three. So me and my partner, my business partner at the time, um, we found a space in Woodenville, and that's where we started Grizzly Cider Works. Um, we were the first cidery in Woodenville. Um, we were producing within a winery because basically it's a, it was a winery license. Mm-hmm. So that allowed us to kind of jump in. And, and we, were, we were lucky because this winery um, had this huge space, and they really didn't need it all. So they um, let us come in and use the equipment Nice. And uh, we just paid them, so, which was great for them because yeah. um, it was one of the big, you know, in kind of the warehouse district in Woodenville. Yeah. So that's where we started. We had our own 10-barrel bright tank, and then we had uh, big the big IBCs for fermenting. And, I mean, it was kind of crazy looking back on it. Each batch I did was like, I mean, those IBCs are like 280 gallons. Mm-hmm. So I went from brewing these little <laughs> five gallon batches in my apartment to brewing these huge, uh, quantities, which yeah. is just like, I don't know how I wasn't more stressed out back then. Um, 
luckily I have a really good friend who is a farmer out in Yakima and he has a incredible like uh, biology background. So he understood the ins and outs of like the, the science behind fermentation and things like that. So whenever I thought I screwed up, <laughs> I would call him and I still do to this day. I call him and I'm like, uh, did I do something wrong or uh, like, so he's always my gut check. And, um, which I think honestly has saved me in a, like back in the beginning from, I mean, cause those batches are crazy. And I mean, if anything goes wrong, you lose 280 oh, gallons yeah. and you multiply that by, so 280 gallons, I think we're paying like $4 a gallon. So it's a lot of money we're investing yeah. in growing this cider business. And, um, so at the time, you know, so we did kegs and, um, so we were doing draft only. Okay. And so we went around to these bars and tried to pitch our cider, which again, these <laughs> bars had one tap for a cider, which was not cider. And we went in here with our cider with like hop cider and, and this one that tasted more like beer and, and these bartenders, I mean, the managers, they looked at me and were like, are you kidding me? I, like, I'm not going to take off this one cider that sells really well because it's, like, probably crazy cheap and his margins are are amazing. Right. Um, for, for, like, this. And, I mean, I will say, like, we, it was a big mix of, like, hits and misses. Yeah. Um, we found some great places that were open to giving us a shot, and, and it really helped. Um Actually, there's a place down the street from, from my house um, uh, called Elliott Bay Pizza, and he was, like, totally open to... Nice. I mean, he had, like, his beer selection on tap is, like, amazing. <laughs> um, so he, he was totally open to putting me on tap, and um, it was great. Like, it, like, that was our exposure. And um, so, I mean, I'll kind of fast forward through Grizzly, but uh, we did, I did that full time for a whole year. Okay. And then I had my daughter and then reality kicked in and I was like, all right, I need to get a real job. I got a mortgage, all this stuff. So we had to figure out what were we going to do. Um, I wanted to, I wanted to create our own tap room in Woodenville. I wanted to build something there. And, um, my partner didn't, um, at the time we were talking to this company out in Walla Walla that does co-packing. So they make their own cider. They also make and packaged cider for other cideries okay. that don't have like the, the, the space or like the, the capacity to do that or the equipment. Okay. So it actually, it, I mean, at the time it was like a great deal. Like, yeah. um, they made the cider. We actually, we got bottles. Uh, we had a packaged product. They were able, all we had to do was basically sell it and they would meet that demand. They would just crank it out. Um, so that was kind of the next phase of Grizzly. The problem with that is basically it removed me because I didn't make the cider anymore. Oh, okay. So I'm not, yeah, I wasn't like driving out to Walla Walla all yep. the time and like doing it. Um, they, they had their own guys. They, you know, they did their thing and that's kind of what it became. So on the plus side, Grizzly in, for over the next couple of years, um, we had... I mean, we, we had Grizzly all over. We were in four or five states. Wow. Um, I had the Central Market by my house had Grizzly cider. I mean, it was really cool to see, like, my bottle, you know, the cider bottles in, in stores. And, yeah. Um, 
you know, and it, and it did fairly well. Our margins were just awful because we were, uh, we were co-packing. So we had these paper thin mm. margins and that forced an even more of an emphasis on sales, right. which is what my partner did. So I got over time, I got more and more phased out of the business. Okay. I also made the mistake of letting his friend be a part of it. So it was kind of like, I don't know, like with businesses, it's like yep. you have voting and all yep. that crap. Um, and uh, so like basically they just kind of said, well, we're going to do things this way. This is our operating agreement, blah, blah, blah. And I just had to go with it. And it it basically just sucked all the passion and fun out of making cider. Yeah. So long story short, we had a big falling out, big surprise. Um it just it w- there wasn't anywhere else to take it. We were trying to get them to buy uh, Grizzly, and um, you know it, it was it was a mess for lack of a better word. Yeah, um, the whole thing was, and um, there was other things that happened uh, that just made it even more difficult. Um, and Grizzly just kind of came to a halt, and it's like didn't exist, and. Uh, going through that all the other stuff with like having a business partner that where where you were um sending the conversations you were having with that person were not very good and nice conversations like you you had in the beginning you had this great friendship and you're like everything's great we're gonna build this business together and we're gonna be successful to i don't ever want to talk to you again unless there's a lawyer in the room right i mean that's a big shift that's a big change and Tying that to something that I loved a lot, it was it was devastating. I mean, I remember, like, uh, just driving in the car with my wife and just kind of like, it just all hit me. Like, you know, like this just didn't go the way I wanted it to. Everything fell apart. Um, like, I'm being accused of things. Like, it's it's like my fault. Blah blah blah. Like, it was a mess. And yeah. I basically. I, I didn't want to do cider anymore. I didn't want to, uh, I didn't want to be a part of it. I didn't want the industry anymore. I was like, screw this, screw all you people. Um, and I just kind of went back to what you knew, what I knew and working and, and providing for my family. And well, a big thank you to Corey Haugen for joining me on the podcast today. And thank you for listening. Remember to come back next week for part two of this podcast And if you want more information on this episode, you can go to kamenocommons.com slash EP72. That's kamenocommons.com slash EP72. Thanks for coming in. See you next time.